Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Making Sense of It All with Jesse Stakes. You know, every week we explore all sorts of ways that people make a living in this world. This week isn't going to be any different. According to a recent study by Deloitte and the Manufacturing Institute, the manufacturing skills gap in the United States could result in 2.1 million, again, let me repeat that, 2.1 million unfilled jobs by the year 2030. That's not that far away. Some people are going to hear that and they think it's a huge problem. And other people are going to look at it and see a tremendous opportunity. Well, my guest this week is Chris Pepin, and he is the founder and managing partner of ProRely. He's working on filling that need for talent and the company's demand for those talented individuals, specifically in the maintenance and reliability disciplines. Now, some listeners may know exactly what I'm talking about, and you're excited for what's coming next. And some of you may have no idea what I just said, but you're curious. So let me simplify it. There's a huge demand in the manufacturing and industrial space for professionals that specialize in the maintenance of equipment and ensuring that it is up and running so that the businesses who own it are realizing the revenue that it was intended to produce for them. Chris is looking to help both sides of that equation come together productively. I'm excited for this opportunity to sit under the learning tree. So please enjoy my conversation with Chris Pepin. Let's jump into it. Chris, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me, Jesse. So tell the audience what ProRely is and what you guys are all about. Uh, we are set out to become the most valuable company in manufacturing talent. Uh, we focus exclusively within the maintenance and reliability disciplines of companies with large industrial assets. So, I mean, that's that's kind of, I think, the quickest way to say we find all kinds of talent, be it contract, contract to hire, direct hire, um, special consulting for projects like that. And all in the manufacturing space? All all within industrial maintenance and reliability. So manufacturing is a big portion of it, but we also work with facilities managers and a lot of, you know, if you've got, say, a college campus, there's a lot of equipment, a lot of infrastructure. It all needs to be maintained uh, and it needs to be kept up and installed and moved. You know, that's what we do. We got the people that do those jobs. Very good. Well, and we're going to jump into all of it, but I wanted to take a step back first because I always find it interesting to kind of hear people's why. Can you can you kind of share with me a little bit of your backstory and what inspired you to start ProRely? Yeah, so I've actually it's a bit ironic. I went to college for an entrepreneurship degree, and the irony, of course, is that uh, entrepreneurship is learned in the doing and not in the uh, classroom. But uh, so so I'm one of the few people who's actually working in the field of their degree these days. And uh, I always had a passion for building business. I think when I was a kid, you know, other kids were collecting baseball cards. If they had CEO cards, I probably would have collected them. So I've been a bit of a business geek my whole life. I've just really liked the idea of being able to build something, assemble teams. And I got into this because, you know, ultimately, I think for anybody who is in business, we want to find the right problem to solve. So folks are, you know, 
I'm particularly good at spotting problems and where things are missing and where there's there's pieces and putting it together and pulling, you know, it's kind of like research, right? You want to pull from this experience, this experience, this experience. So without going too far back, I knew that to be a good business leader, there were two initial routes, either the finance route or the sales route. You needed both. Right. So I had a chance, I, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad in high school, probably three times, uh, really, you know, dove into those books. My dad was a real estate agent. So he had this great library at home of sales books, books on tape, Earl Nightingale, you know, really great leaders and and really great thoughts around that. So I studied that stuff and I knew, hey, I wanted to get the best training possible. Um, Robert Kiyosaki had talked about the training that he got at Xerox initially and just how much he learned there. So, okay, great. My my dad was a real estate agent, but the reason he was a, a very successful real estate agent was he had a coaching and training company that he worked with initially uh, that taught him everything that he, you know, everything that he knew in terms of the sales process, how to go out and find people, what to do. And so I joined that sales school right out of college. I went in and I did a sales apprenticeship, basically working with my family's company uh, to sell real estate. And it was interesting because I started in 0405 when it was a really hot market. And I learned those skills and I, I did extremely well out of the gate. Um, then the market crashed and turned. Oddly enough, because I had invested in those skills and really got a process all the other real estate agents were out of the market. You know, the, everything was really crazy and upside down, but I knew how to find people with motivation and equity. And I knew how to prospect and go out and find business. I actually did just as well on the backside as I did on the way up because there was less competition. And I knew the right kind of clientele to go for. And I knew how to price and market the market their properties. Did very well with that. So once I had a good understanding of that sales process. I was able to move on from real estate. You know, I did not want to be a realtor my whole life. I wanted to get the training. And I was fortunate through some college connections to fall into a startup company here in Jacksonville uh, that was doing some kind of healthcare technology, something or other. And okay. so I said, great. I knew how to sell. I went in, I talked to the, the president of that company, interviewed him, and he said, I would either be the best salesperson they ever had or fired in two weeks. And he didn't know which. <laughs> so that was the backstory. Um, within three years of joining that company, I was employee number five. We had become number three on the Inc. 5000. We grew 24,000% in three years within that market. And I was running about 60% of the sales to do it. Now, it was a really great market. The founders had, a, you know, really put together a, a just a a phenomenal play in a phenomenal time and place. And then I was able to adopt those sales skills. Instead of taking listings, I was taking job openings. Instead of having buyer's agents, I had recruiters internally who were filling my jobs. So what did I do? I got the best job listings possible. I serviced them as well as possible. And I made sure that every recruiter knew that, hey, feeding me was going to get them very well taken care of. So taking the 80-20 principle, this was kind of funny how it shook out. There were five salespeople at that company. I was doing roughly 60 or 70% of the revenue because I knew that one out of those five, 20% of the salespeople would do 80% of the revenue. I, I read that in the four hour work week and just put it to put it to use. I figured I'd pick myself, be that guy. Shockingly, it worked. So I thought, okay, really on to something here. Unfortunately, I was not a founder of that company. So, you know, eventually it, the company growth phase had run its course. I had run the the start and they needed to become a consistent company with lots of salespeople. They wound up selling it for a ton of money. They had a ton of employees, but there wasn't really as many 80-20 opportunities for an initial salesperson. 
So it was time to go out and start my own company, which I did. I took a look at all the markets out there and I wanted to figure out, okay, where's, where's a hole? And I knew data analytics was coming up. And based right. on what we had done in healthcare, it's like, okay, let me see if I can do this in the data analytics market. And so I started a company focused on finding resources for data analytics. Well, the data and the IT market was far more established than, the, than our niche within healthcare. And frankly, I got my butt whipped. I just, it okay. was an absolute grind for four or five years. I wound up uh, finding a niche, placing salespeople within C-series venture-backed companies. And this is, again, think in the early 20, you know, 2012 to 2015, everything was tech, everything was growing there. I wanted to go into it, but tech companies don't really like having outsourced recruiters finding their people. They didn't want to pay the fees. The other companies that did the consulting, there was a lot of H-1B visa work. There was a lot of outsourcing going on at that time. And so it just, it wasn't the right market. They didn't need the skills that I had. So I had to find, okay, where do people really need the service I've got and have the right margins to be able to grow a business and have a real opportunity for somebody to come in, not necessarily revolutionize, but just service the business incredibly well and give somebody something that they weren't getting. And I was fortunate enough um, to actually, uh, oddly enough, it goes back to family. My mom had a connection um, that she came across at a rotary meeting with somebody who was talking on data analytics. And I thought, okay, um, data analytics, rotary, there's no way this guy knows anything. I didn't call him. <laughs> and turns out, of course, he, he was a truly brilliant person who knew a lot about the industrial market, taught me about it, shepherded me in, and boom, we were off to the races. I found my way in, I found the niche, and that was where ProRely started. And I had finally found a place with the right reason to service. And that was people who are doing a manufacturing discipline called reliability. So that's why our company is called Progressive Reliability. We focus on people, not just that fix things or fix things faster, but we know that American manufacturing is going to require a discipline of maintaining its equipment in such a way that it doesn't break as often. So there aren't as many failures. The opportunities for efficiencies are incredible. And there's a very few people who can make a tremendously big impact on a facility. Those are the people we wanted to focus on. And that's what we've been doing for the last five years. That's an amazing story. Do you feel like I, I always feel that, you know, people say learning from failure is one of the most important things to entrepreneurship or just growing as a person. Do you feel like you've learned as much from your failures as you have from your successes, more or less? What What are your thoughts on that? So I, I've taken a different approach to failure. And really, the only failure in business is quitting. Everything else is testing and education. So I will tell you, yeah, I've been educated in, and the thing is business teaches you in such a way that it's extremely difficult to forget. So that would be what I would say. Those are, those are the challenges and those are the teachings that you find. And I, yeah, I have a slew of very difficult to forget lessons that have come across. Um, and so that's really, you know, we focus on doing that and that testing, but really the only failure is to drop out and the failure is to quit. I mean, that's, that's really how we look at it. And I've just had the... It's not even the tenacity or stubbornness. It's just, I know that it will work. We have the vision for what we want to serve. And then we keep testing on finding ways that that service works and invest in what works. So we feed, you know, what's responding. And I think that's really one of the best ways to look at it. No, I think that's well, very well said. The other thing that I got out of what, what you were just saying also is that you, you 
you tested a lot of different ponds before you figured out where you were going to catch fish. And I think that that's incredibly key. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, w- it would be great to hit the first one out of the gate. Like I said, that's that first sure. company I started on my own was an extraordinarily humbling experience going from, you know, all the razzle. I mean, being, you know, it was, it was my, you know, captain of the football team experience in life. Those two, three years, it, it was a tremendous amount of fun. I was flying 100,000 miles a year, traveling the country. It was really, really great. But to be humbled and brought back and really get clear on that market fit, that service market fit in sure. our world. Um, yeah, that that's an incredibly important piece that I did not understand in that first company when things were going extremely well, just how good of a product market fit they had. No doubt. And so let's let's jump into what you're doing and, and into ProRely because you guys are placing, you know, w- would you say that you're placing high level maintenance employees? Would you, are they are they do they require a lot of education on their side or is it something to where I guess what I'm asking is what is the the profile of the people that you're looking for to place into into the companies that work with you? So we want to become, again, the most valuable company in manufacturing talent, not the biggest, not the mostest, not the billingest. We want to provide as much value as possible in everywhere we go. And so in that providing value, we found three different channels. And so when you mention high level, we start out with reliability engineers, maintenance managers, folks that have a, a really good understanding, you know, even plant managers are people that we work with on a regular basis. And these plants are billion dollar plants that we work right. with. I mean, our smallest client right now is probably 800 million a year. Most of our sweet spot of who we work with is the two to five billion. And the reason is they have the scale to really get the efficiency. So yes, we focus on the reliability engineers and we focus on that high end of, of talent understanding. What came about though during COVID is we realized it doesn't matter how good your reliability program is. If you don't have enough good technicians and you don't have enough people to run your reliability project and to do your tasks. They're called PMs, um, which is a predictive maintenance task. We know this is due. Think of it, oil change, what, sure. you know, if you want to apply it to a car or something like that. Well, without enough of those people, it doesn't really matter what your plan is. So we, during the 2020, 21 and 22 period found out, okay, what's the trick to get the best quality worker? So the people we work with, again, these are electricians, um, multi-craft is what it's called. You've got people who are really good on lubrication, people really good at going in and, you know, assessing the health of their assets, which is an industry word for very large, expensive machinery. Uh, and we we found out how to really get these programs staffed up for the right companies with the right mindset. So we're on the high level. And because we have those high level uh, relationships, we've also built out a way to come into a company, we have a site where they're missing six people. I'm talking to a site right now, they have 27 openings. When I talked to them two months ago, it was 22. So what happens is the average job tenure right now across the board is about 2.7 years. So if you think about it. So let's you, let's let's stop yeah. on that really quick because you're saying 2.7 years. And is that in maintenance in general, as far as high level maintenance, or is that in manufacturing? Where Where is that figure coming from? That is the average for all employment right now. So crazy. when you get to, you know, when you're in a role that's paid by the hour, there's higher turnover. Of course, when you're an executive level, it's usually, you know, three to six years. But I want you to consider that most people today, if you are going to work in a position for 10 years, 
on that 10th year, you're starting your fourth iteration of a team. When you think about it, 2.7, 2.7, 2.7, you know, within a decade, you could be on your fourth turn. So recruitment is going to become incredibly important. Having an understanding of how to not only find the best people, but keep them, train them, make them better and grow them. And then another thing that's special to manufacturing is a lot of the most talented, experienced people are retiring because people have not been joining the the blue collar workforce. People have not been going into technical roles. A lot of, you know, a lot of the work's gone to the white collar in the college educated sure. world. That's changed. Uh, and so now it's become even more important. So on the high level, not only are we working with direct hires, but we found this really great trick, which is a lot of folks are retiring. They're taking their retirement within the six to eight months of being retired. They're bored out of their tree. Just, you know, hey, I've got all these skills. I've got all this stuff to teach. I want to hand it off to the next generation, but I don't want to be stuck in the same plan every day. I want to play with my grandkids. So we, uh, what I say is instead of it being a talent exodus, it's a talent migration. The knowledge is still there and we're repurposing the knowledge by working with great people with tons of experience and finding them projects to go up for three months or six months. Or if we have a very difficult role to fill in, you know, you need a specialized person in a rural area or a unique location, we can put somebody in for six months while we do that search to be able to keep their projects going and then fill with the right person so our clients don't have to take the first person that's available, which is going to create more challenges they're trying to get out of. Well, and I guess, so not to not to date myself or anything, but what this really becomes is you having an excellent Rolodex or an excellent database of resources to pull from, from for these businesses when they have a need to fill. Yes. And and the most important piece on that, which I think is it, it's it's lateral thinking where a lot of folks come in and think, okay, I have I'm the company, I have the job, I want to find people. It's actually we start people first. We have the best people. We want to get them into the right roles. If you put people into roles where they're successful, they're going to be happy, they're going to be rewarded, and more importantly, they're going to be able to make an impact with the skills that they've created and cultivated over the Point of their career, they're going to be happier. They're going to stay longer. We're going to have better outcomes. So we really look at it as almost like a talent agency perspective where we're representing the talent. And then, you know, we have clients that we can go find our representative talent for. So we're very picky about what clients we work with because you've got, you know, a facility with job openings doesn't necessarily mean that this is the kind of environment that people are going to grow at. And we really want to understand where they're going on the reliability side. Where are they in their journey? The, the words we have in our world are reactive or proactive. So a lot of sites are reactive. Hey, something broke, fix it, fix it faster. Well, the proactivity comes from top down, we want to start looking at our assets and we want to start looking at, at you know our equipment from a perspective of how do we make it run better as opposed to rewarding the hero mindset of coming in and fixing it faster. Right. It may break over again because we didn't really get under the hood of what the challenge is. So we've got the folks that really specialize and have a tremendous passion for it. Um, manufacturing is great. It's, it's a difficult environment. There's a lot of safety issues, the kind of camaraderie and respect that comes from that type of mindset is something I did not find in either of the other verticals I worked in. So there's just a real level of respect and appreciation, um, for one another and for one's team that you find within manufacturing. That's just, it's super unique and it's, it's a really rewarding, uh, market to be taking our part in. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I always think it's it's interesting. I mean, 
my background is in commercial banking and it's in one of the, one of the things I always tell people is it's amazing when you actually get to go somewhere pe where people make things mm -hmm. the pr the pride of craftsmanship is just second to none it's it's you don't get that in a service business you don't get that in a sales environment but when somebody makes something with their own hands or with their own machinery and their own you know ingenuity it's there's a, there's just a different feeling around it every time I've ever been around it. So I think that that's 100% true. It's very different than what, what I refer to as a mercenary mindset that you'll find in other industries. So people aren't going to hop for 50 cents an hour more or 10,000 more. We've actually gotten a couple of hires this quarter where people took a, a not substantial, but somewhat of a pay cut and moved because they wanted to be in a better environment. Or most importantly, they wanted to join an organization where there was training and headroom to grow in their career. Sometimes you can kind of reach your cap where you're at. And then the only way to grow is for people to go someplace else. And that's where we come in and say, hey, you know, if you've reached as much growth as you can get where you are and you want to continue to grow, we're the kinds of people that want to help you. So it's not a cannibalistic mindset. It's a matter of how do we grow the people that are here and passionate so that our industry as a whole becomes healthier and that knowledge share is growing within the limited pool of people we have to work with. That's that's really the framework we use. No doubt. So the professionals that are coming to you to be placed, mm -hmm. are you seeing them? Are they coming from the military? Are they coming from other other manufacturing like jobs? Where, where do you see the bulk of the people coming to you and saying, I'd like you to help me find somewhere to work? Uh, so our trick is really everything everywhere all the time. So I wouldn't say that there's one channel. We hit all channels. You know, that's that's really the way it is. So military uh, people who if you want to talk about military specialties folks from the navy especially nuclear engineers make tremendously uh impactful reliability engineers and there's a great route there um they i've actually was on the board of direction board of directors for operation new uniform here in town who helps transitioning veterans get their first careers within the civilian world and make that transition. So I actually worked with them for a couple of years trying to create the content and here's how the game works and here's what you need to know about hiring. So we have a, a huge amount of respect for veterans and there are a lot of very successful veterans in the market. Also, right. there's people that come up from, from school. So the University of Tennessee uh, in Knoxville has a fabulous reliability program. Everybody has a job halfway through their program. So, you know, there's, there's, a lot of demand and there's a lot of education. We, there's also really great, I, I want to say local and regional um, tech schools do a phenomenal job of preparing people. Uh, and these are, I mean, these are just really great careers. It, it's the, the opportunity for growth is there if you're willing to turn up and, and really learn your craft. Uh, and, and really for us, we're just looking at, okay, what is the path to leadership now and, and how can we work better with um, creating leaders and finding the leadership channel for people to grow and for the next generation to take over. Right. Flip side of that. So you've got people that went into the workforce. They think that the, the route for them was to get a college degree and go into the white collar workforce. Mm -hmm. Let's say they're in their 20s, late, late 20s, early 30s, and they've decided, okay, this isn't for me. And they're looking to re-educate themselves. Is that is that a viable route as well? Like for those folks that are that are necessarily like if they're if they're they've figured out they're kind of in a dead end, they don't really want to go the route they're going. Is there a demand? Is there a is there a is there a need right now for more people? There's a tremendous need right now. If you want to be if you really want to start a business and you've got the you know the technical the passion for the technical work, becoming an electrician. 
uh, becoming uh, an air conditioning. Like there's a lot of lot of roll ups going on in HVAC right now where those business. I mean, when your air conditioning's down, you're calling somebody, right? That's that's what you need. When you have an electrical problem, it needs to be fixed. When there's a plumbing issue, it has to happen. So people who are willing to go in, into the trades, learn the trade, learn leadership, and learn that from an entrepreneurial perspective are going to do phenomenally well. For us, of course, our clients are hire, hiring us to find people who have the skills and the experience. So we're not, working, yeah, we don't work a lot with people who are new to the market. We can, you know, there's plenty of channels that we can direct people to, but obviously we're not getting hired to go find people who are green. We've got to go find, you know, the most experienced out there. And, and we found that really a lot of people uh, have grown up in this environment. It's very much a family environment. It's very much a, a local cultural environment. And there's usually somebody who has a family member uh, in in the trades or in that kind of work. I mean, my godfather was a chemical engineer and my grandfather on that side actually worked in a paper mill. Uh, and so that's, you know, like I have that, I, I don't know what you would call it, that kind of heritage, so to speak. I'm looking for the right word. I think heritage in terms of, hey, I've got family members that have worked in these markets and in uh, in manufacturing. And so it's something, you know, that's something nice that I can lean on and take a part in. And I, I really actually do feel uh, a lot of value that, you know, my when I say my godfather, that was my mother's brother. And my mom's the one who kicked me into this industry. I don't know what kind of serendipity is behind that, but I thought it was kind of, it's kind of a funny story for sure. No doubt. No doubt. And not to put you on the spot, do you, but do you have any kind of a favorite story or a favorite success story where you've just really proud of it and really want to like to hang your hat on it? Well, one of the ones that we, we just did recently, um, we had a client, they have about six sites and they, um, any Starbucks sandwich you have is going to be assembled in one of their facilities for the most part. I think they do 80% of, of the food um, for Starbucks, just as, as an example to be able to put your put your head around. So there was a facility that they had out in Arizona, and we talked to their maintenance manager. So this is the person in charge of the maintenance department of keeping all the equipment running. This maintenance manager had not had a single Saturday off for six months um, when we when we got introduced to him. So the, the head of reliability said, Hey, we're working a lot of reliability. We're having a challenge here. We need to get some people. Um, so we were able to go into that site within, I think they had six or seven jobs open within okay. six weeks. We had filled five of those positions and then they were able to fill one or two themselves as well. We were able to get that site up taken care of our maintenance manager was finally able to get his weekends back and it was, it was relatively quick. And that's because we know how to, you know, how to find a market, tackle a market and put all of our focus on one client. That's one of the things we do differently is there are industrial recruitment generalists out there who do kind of all things factory, which we're not. Um, so we have this special skill set, but they're also location-based because we're nationwide. When we take on a site, that site in that area is our only focus. So when we get great people, they only go to the site versus the other model was, hey, you know, I've got this area. I have 14 sites that I'm trying to support. They all have job openings. Uh, I'm going to take one person, send them to 14 and get them hired. That is why a lot of these roles are open is because there's a conflict that there that we've been able to work around and we've been able to find a way to do this and really support our clients, getting them exactly what they want, as opposed to just trying to get everybody we come across into something. No doubt. I know it's been a hot button politically and it's been something that they talk about on the news a lot, but when we talk about manufacturing in the United States versus abroad, what are you seeing right now? Are you seeing people bring more back to the United States? Is it staying outside? What what are you seeing? Um, so in terms of 
new builds and what's going on, it's really exciting. Of course, batteries, there's a lot going on in battery. There's a lot going on in, in mining. There's a lot of chips manufacturing. They, these sites are all being built. It's what we call greenfield when there's a new one, uh, a new site being built and being staffed up. Uh, there's a tremendous uh, amount going on in South Carolina of new facilities being built left and right. So there's a lot of growth there. Arizona has a lot of growth. And you know, in terms of what's being repurposed right now, really the challenge is we don't have enough people to fulfill the work we have, let alone the work that's coming. So I'm going to give you a couple of statistics. I pulled this from the Bureau of Labor Statistics a couple of weeks ago. Currently, there's 12.7 million people employed in manufacturing. Do you want to take a guess how many job openings there are right now, Jesse, in manufacturing? I, I'm sure I'm going to hate to hear it. <laughs> 9.6 million. So there's 9.6 million openings across 12.7 million employed. So it's it's stark and there's there's a there's a lot of need there's a lot of demand and the market's really paying attention uh in how to take good care of its people. So it's instead of being recruit faster which again would be the reactive we're trying to recruit better and make sure we're getting people and giving them opportunities. So when we start with our clients the first thing we look at is what is the opportunity? How can somebody grow? You know, what does your environment have to offer that nobody else doesn't really get clear on that so that when we do speak to people, we're winning head-to-head battles where anybody we talk to is going to be interviewing in three other places, clearly. But when we talk to them about our client, we know the training program. We know what they have to, you know, what, what they have to offer. And we really talk about that career path as opposed to here's the job and here's the rate, which is what most reactive recruiters are going to be talking about. Well, and I what it sounds like to me is there's a tremendous leverage right now for those folks to make a very good living if they want to. There is. Um, yeah, it was it was really strange. I mean, I got to say 2020 um, was an odd time because a lot of people were being paid to stay home. And then 21 and 22, we had to restart the whole workforce. There was about 8% of the workforce that, that did not come back. Um, right. There's a lot of people, you know, we've seen people leave manufacturing and go to work at Target. Um, you know, so, you know, I, I mean, there's other jobs, uh, I would say distribution facilities, there's, there's a lot going on that's changing out there left and right. And that's why we really want to focus on the people that fix the equipment that make the country run. And I got to imagine as, as things become more technical, as we, you know, we keep hearing about AI and automation and all of these things, there is some re-education or there's some, like you said, a lot of these folks are offered training programs as they continue to grow in their skill set. So that's got to be, like you said, it's a very important part of all of this is making sure that you're going to the right places and getting the right education to where you're not only valuable today, but you're valuable 5, 10, 15 years from now. Yeah, that's exactly right. We want to talk about where do you want to go? Where are you trying to get? Um, because, you know, if you're just looking for a job, there's plenty of opportunities to get a job. I mean, I, I like to say there's probably 12 to 14 jobs open for every qualified person out there. It's okay. So what's the right job? What's the path that's going to get you where you want to go? Um, I'll tell you another thing that, uh, we, we work with a lot of bilingual candidates. Um, we're finding more and more sites that frankly speak Spanish only. So that's been, uh, really important. Uh, we, you know, bilingual recruiters are, part of the process here, because we've got to be able to work with who are the qualified people that we have within these roles. And really, we're we're willing to work with whoever's qualified, of course, has the right background, has the right mindset, has that passion for work and being good at what they do and serving well. That's that's really where we're looking. Very cool. And then one of the other things that I wanted you to talk a little bit about was you had mentioned to me before we jumped on this is that you guys have a something called your five pillars in the talent cycle. 
can, yes. and I think that that would benefit everybody that's listening, not just people that are in your, not just in your space, but probably anybody who hires anybody. Yeah. So there's, there's five phases to it. I, I, I want to pull out, let me give you one, one, it's not an actual stat, but it's a really great quote that I want to frame this from. This is from Richard Fairbanks, who was the CEO of Capital One. He said that people spend 2% of their time recruiting and 75% of their time fixing their recruiting mistakes. So we really want to think in terms of, okay, when we're reaching out to talent, when we're trying to do, uh, to get people in and keep the people we have, we really want to take a, a an approach that looks at the entirety of uh, of a career path and the entirety of a, a role. And so the five quickly, number one is application generation, which everybody thinks about, right? We want applicants. We want to get people in. Number two, almost nobody thinks about, and it's called application nurturing. The best people are employed today. They're not looking for a job. Right. Because if they are, they're hired within three weeks. I'll tell you that if somebody's really great, they have a role within two to three weeks. That's that's the standard that we're seeing out there. So how do we nurture the people that we want to get? How do we find the people that are currently someplace else and looking or who, you know, how do we really work with the people that we weren't able to hire for whatever reason before and go back to them? That's that nurturing. That was kind of that's a piece that I picked up back in the real estate world. It's like, okay. You know, somebody, when are you looking? You know, when would you want to be? We want to set up a lineup of people ahead of the openings before they happen. So that nurturing is a big piece of what we do here. We're nurturing candidates all the time. What are you looking for? You know, with our high level people, what do you want? Where do you want to be? Why do you want to be there? How can you grow? So when a role does come available, we've got that great person at the ready. Interviewing and engaging is step number three. A lot of people think of an interview as screening, but when you have this many openings in the, you know, the 12 points, uh, I think what was it 12.7 versus 9.6 million people, right? Or, you know, that's that 9.6 million openings against 12.7 million people that exist, right? We have to engage people in that interview process on behalf of our company, because they may not be right for this role, but chances are good, they know somebody who is. So as we're interviewing, we have to talk about what's the process, what's the why, what are they going to get from it? What are the challenges you need to overcome? You know, I mean, ultimately, you're hiring somebody to fix something and do something and have a skill set that you don't currently have. Let's talk about what that is and what that path is. So that's how we look at the interview point. Most recruiters are on, you know, one, maybe two and three. We've got a step further to really do the research and look through. Number four is the onboarding and training. So it's not a lot of people just leave that at orientation. We want to look at what is that process? We call it the honeymoon period, that first three to six months in the job. This is where it, it, the success and failure is made in terms of those relationships, the connections, ensuring that the job somebody thought they were getting is the job that they're doing, ensuring that the help that they were looking for and the education resources they were looking for are being acted on. A lot of times, especially with technicians, people are very much heads down in their work. It's up to leaders to ensure that these other opportunities are worked on. These other opportunities are pursued. So that's where we talk about that training, onboarding, really getting people ingrained into your organization and not just kind of throwing in the wolves and letting them and see what they do. That's a big piece. And finally, number five is the retention and ascension. And this is where, you know, when we talk about a culture, um, I call it like bonuses and barbecues. A lot of people are like, well, we have this or, you know, what, what makes your culture stand? Oh, well, you know, we have this or we do this or we do a picnic or something like that. It's not your right. Your culture is what are you rewarding? How do you interact with one another? How do you manage issues as they come up? How do you manage successes? How do you um, actually go out and, you know, not just reward people, but 
how do you communicate that they've done a good job? How do you communicate where the growth is taking place rather than just doing the job day in and day out? That's part of retention. Of course, ascension is growing people in better jobs. I mean, the first question anybody should be asking when they're interviewing is why is this role open? What are you looking for? If somebody's been promoted out of the job, that's a great piece. If somebody's been let go because they don't match the culture, that's a great thing too. So we want to really be looking at how are we ascending people as we brought in. So that way you don't need to hire a recruiter to backfill it. You know, ultimately we're not trying to create codependence here. We want to create great outcomes for our clients so that they don't need us. So that when something comes up, it is a specialized need as opposed to, you know, if it's a revolving door kind of environment, we're not going to be able to do a lot of help because we're, we're basically helping them bail a leaky boat. We want to help shore that boat up with the right kinds of people. No doubt. No doubt. Chris, I think you're an incredible resource. And if my audience or anybody who's listening to this would like to learn more about you and ProRely, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Well, so the five pillars I talked about, we actually, I just did a, a webinar with another uh, company in, in our market yesterday. And we've got a, a place where you can download that five pillar. I've got a 45 page document with all the research and all the facts and figures in it. And you can go to ProRely.com, P-R-O-R-E-L-I.com forward slash number five pillars. So ProRely.com slash five pillars. You can go ahead and grab the document there for free and check it out. Uh, I'm really active on LinkedIn, have been posting about two videos a week with little tips and trainings, uh, as well as sharing market information and things that are going on. So find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Chris Pepin at ProRely you're going to find. Um, and go ahead and, you know, you're welcome to reach out, connect and follow there. That's another great way just to get some of the information and the research we're putting out on a regular basis. Good deal. Chris, I want to thank you very much for joining me. I, I learned a lot today and, and I appreciate appreciate you taking the time. Well, Jesse, I really appreciate you reaching out and having me on. It's it's been a great it's great to be a part of your show. And really, I hope your audience gets a lot from this. No doubt. Hopefully we'll have you on again soon. Take care. Right. Thanks a lot. It's no secret that there's a huge demand for tradesmen right now, and I believe that demand is only going to increase in the not too distant future. We had several generations in a row that were pushed to go to college and get a degree, like it was the only path to success. I think we all know that success comes in many flavors in this world, and that the word success means something different to us all. For a society or a community to work and be successful, we have to have people doing all jobs, not just the ones that you need a college degree for. If you're skilled with your hands, or if you just enjoy working with your hands, there's a tremendous opportunity for you out there right now. I want to thank Chris for joining me. That's going to wrap us up for today. I'll catch you guys next time.